Hello and welcome to the April 3rd, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, and it's awesome to have everybody here with me tonight once again. I apologize for taking a couple of more days than I normally take. I have been desperately wanting to record a podcast, but I have not done so. And it is really because life has gotten in the way a little bit, and I am trying to be upbeat. I'm trying to be positive, trying to be entertaining, but I will tell you right now, and you have never, ever heard Mr. Joe say this before, I am this close, and if you could see me, which you can't, just imagine me taking my fingers, and when I say the words this close, just holding my thumb and my forefinger about a centimeter apart. So that's what Mr. Joe is doing right now, holding it that close to to each other, those two fingers, and saying, I am this close to putting my fist through a wall. (laughs) I mean, I can laugh about it now because I'm sitting on my podcast and I'm speaking to my audience and I'm relatively safe, uh, believe it or not, in my laundry room because I have uh, a full house here, obviously, during the spring break, so to speak. I have uh, Sarah Lee up in her room, buried in her computer. And I have Junior up in his room, buried in his PlayStation 4. And I have my wife putting Mickey to bed. And I escaped as fast as I could. And that's the God's honest truth. And she had some work to do tonight, which I completely understand. I, I... when she has work to do, she she needs to do it. And I have no problem being a dad for the time being. But it was kind of, uh, I guess you could say, unexpected. She had something due for work yesterday. And me being her supervisor, I had told her on Friday. And we both forgot about it, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. When I'm home from work, she doesn't do a whole lot of work. So... Yesterday came and went, I didn't even think about it. Well, I'm at the office and I'm able to give her instructions or advice or she could do the same for me. I mean, just because I am her supervisor on paper, she really leads the way when it comes to our job. If I didn't have her, I would be nothing. Uh, But it's a lot easier for me to offer directions and offer support and offer uh, tasks when I'm at the office, because we're not with each other, and we're not worrying about children, and we're not worrying about family, and not worrying about dinner, and lunch, and breakfast, and all those things, so Monday came and went, we forgot about it, and I just had my parents over, which is a whole nother set of circumstances, I'll get into that in a minute, Um, and we had some dinner, and as soon as they left, my direct supervisor, who happens to be my wife's very good friend, started texting her, and asking for something that was due as of yesterday, and of course she hopped on the computer, 
And I said to myself, you know what? Not a big deal. Let her go do what she has to do. I'll give little Mickey a bath, and we will give her whatever time she needs. Well, Mickey really didn't get a lot of naps today. And he, uh, you know, once he was done with the bath, maybe he got had an hour left in him. And then he wanted to go to bed, and he doesn't go to bed very well for me when his mother is around. So there she is on the computer, and she's trying to work, and I'm trying to keep this kid content, and just didn't work. So I've been an absolute disaster, I would say, for probably the last four or five days, and that's the God's honest truth. And it's it's actually really, really bad the way that I've been. I'm I'm actually embarrassed about it. I've been treating my wife like complete garbage. This is Mr. Joe at his absolute worst, and I will tell you right now, it almost feels like I'm not medicated, to be honest with you. The only difference is that I would probably be putting my fist through a wall, and rather than saying it, I would probably be smashing my head through a wall, rather than saying it. So I guess you could call that somewhat of positivity when it comes to bipolar disorder, but... It's it's actually still a little bit disturbing because I I need to know why this is happening and why my moods. I I, I guess I'll get into that in a minute, okay? Because I do have the answer for that if if you want to know the truth, and I'll get into that in a minute. So I, I wish I could remind myself because that's not easy either another thing that we'll talk about when it comes to my memory. But nevertheless, um, just so you everybody knows, I mean, where I'm up in terms of my life, and, and none of this really sounds so stressful, so I can't say that it's circumstantial that has caused me this mood swing. Uh, so I won't even say that it's that. One of the things that I've dealt with over the last couple of days, I had to get both my kids' uh, glasses, got junior glasses, and even with insurance, it cost me about $180 because I picked out new frames and would have only cost me $63 had I have used his old frames that he just got recently. But, you know, I get $130 towards frames. I only pay $25 for lenses, and both my children are absolutely blind. Uh, those lenses, they used to cost me over $200. So my copay for the lenses is 25 Then I have a medical exam for the for the prescription. That's only 10 bucks, And I get $130 towards the frames. But the big selling point was this special coating <laughs> that they asked me to put on. And apparently it's necessary for the children. Uh, that was like $250. But my insurance happens to pay... 145 of it, which was great. Anyway, in a nutshell, I got beautiful, I think they're called Ray-Ban or something. I don't even know, guys. I'm so not into the uh, brand name stuff. I just know they're very nice designer frames. I was able to keep his old frames so that I could use them for soccer because I have not been able to afford sports goggles for him yet. So he'll use those old frames. I was able to get um, an extended warranty, so if that these new ones break, you can get them done for free. I mean, we got some got a great deal. So, all in all, it cost me one hundred and seventy dollars. Like I said, I could have got out of there cheaper had I used his old frames, but I wasn't willing to do that. I wanted him to uh, 
Um, I wanted them to look good and feel good. And that's that's a pretty high expense for me. Now, that's considered to be an extra expense. One of the agreements that me and my ex-wife have is every month she's supposed to come to me with her extra expenses, and I am to pay 66% of them, and she is to pay the remainder because of our salary difference. One of the things that really upsets me is that every single month I have to remind her. And if I fail to, if I fail to remind her... The months will start to add up and add up, and then before you know it, I'm owing month after month, and it becomes quite the amount of money, and it's just not fair. And what makes me even more upset is that when I lay out all this money, she will not pay me back. She will wait until it kind of evens out. And now I'm supposed to take her to court for that kind of stuff, but who is going to do that? And she knows that, and it's actually very sad. I don't have the time to do it, so she just takes advantage, and it's just absolutely sickening. As a matter of fact, I took my daughter in for her eye contact lens exam because she was due in March, so I thought, but my ex-wife failed to tell me that she went back for a recheck in June, utilizing my insurance all over again, so she's not eligible till June. And you would think that a mother of my children, of our children, would relay this information to me, but she doesn't. So I walked in, we were all ready for a contact lens exam, I felt like a complete fool because I was arguing with the lady at the eyeglass place saying, no, I got the prescription right here, it says May, I mean March. And she said, well, you must have gone back. I said, I didn't go back unless my ex-wife is not telling me something, and of course she was not. The other thing is, and I don't know if I've ever brought this up before, my ex-wife, like I said, is she supposed to present me with receipts at the end of the month so I could reimburse her 66% of those expenses. And those expenses include anything medical, is basically what it comes down to, anything extracurricular, soccer, religion, things of that nature that are not included in regular child support. And that is it. Those are the main things that we're talking about here. Do you know that I have actually, my ex-wife has gone as far as providing me with fake receipts to try to retain extra money from me. And I've caught her doing that several times. And she hasn't done it in a while. I brought it up to my attorney when we were going through a divorce. My attorney brought it up in court. We never went to trial, but those are one of the one of the many reasons as to why the judge could not even bear to look at my ex-wife throughout this entire process and ruled in my favor for just about everything. Truth of the matter is, I probably could have gotten custody, full custody of my children. We have joint custody right now. Could have gotten full, but I was not willing to do that to my children and put them through it because at the time they were younger. And now they go to school during the week in my ex-wife's neighborhood and they have their friends established and I'm not about to rip them away from their friends I just can't do it so that's that the, you know the expense the expenses thing it's kind of annoying um, the other thing is we took a ride today is what Tuesday on Saturday my parents have been real really busting my chops lately for me to come over with the kids now my ex-wife, once again, violated the divorce agreement. It was supposed to be my weekend with the children. And she would not allow me to take them to my parents' 
she didn't know I was taking them there. It's none of her business, but she withheld my children. So, once again, it's going to have to get to a point where... Now, eventually they came. They came on Sunday. What had ended up happening was she had plans with her family, and I explained to her, it's my weekend. She said, oh, goodness gracious, I must have messed everything up. I'm so sorry, I already made plans. Do you mind if I keep them? Well, yeah, I mind. But, you know, what, 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 what do you want me to do now? I, you made plans, you're bringing them to your family. I said, I'm not happy about it. I'll bring them there Sunday. So, anyway, Mr. Joe loses again. So, Saturday, I went to my parents' house. My sister was there. Always great to see my sister and my nephew and my niece. They are just the absolute loves of my life. It's so pleasurable when I get to be around them. My nephew, he is just such a such a little, oh God, he just reminds me of me. It's really scary. I mean, he, I look at him, I listen to him, and he's just a, a little version of what I used to be, and I'm just so proud of him, and I love him so much. But one of the things, and I have to say this in a very calm, collective, kind way to people out there who might be smokers, because I will tell you right now, I was a heavy-duty smoker, so I am not one to speak. Now, I have not had a cigarette since August 13th of 2011, so it's been a long time. But let me tell you, when I did smoke, my God, did I smoke, okay? I smoked, after I smoked marijuana, I would smoke a cigarette. I drove in the car, I smoked a cigarette. My goodness, when I was addicted to the quote-unquote Bible, when I thought I was... Um, God's favorite son, and I would read the Old Testament, the New Testament, King James Bible, King James Version. I used to sit in bed and do this and, and pray morning, noon, and night. I would smoke while I was reading the Bible. I mean, I was, you know, I was a smoker. I really was. Um, and, I, and I have not smoked since that point in my life, which was 2011, but my parents happened to still smoke. And one of the things I ask of them is that at least when they know the baby is coming over, to please not smoke in the house. Because that's one thing that I never used to do, is I never used to smoke in the house. Uh, mainly because, you know, the smell gets on you, and especially when you got children. Um, even though, I, I, if I will admit it, and I have admitted it before, there was a time where I used to sit in my laundry room and smoke like a chimney and think that because I was blowing it out the window, it would have no effect on my family and my children. And that's just complete... Um, being a complete moron. But my parents insist that they air out the house and they wait a week and they don't smoke and they go outside. It's just completely false. So every time I go there, I kind of dread what it's going to smell like. And this time around, I have to say, it was probably the worst it's ever been to the point where every single article of clothing when we left, every single thing that we owned down to Mickey left his sippy cup there, and my mother brought it back to me today. And the sippy cup actually smelled like smoke. Every present that she bought us for Easter, every blanket, every pillow, she bought Mickey all kinds of cute little ducky pillows and blankets, and they all smelled like smoke. Most of the stuff had to go in the garbage because I could not even get the smell out. And Mickey, who, when he is going, when he is out and about. He does not nap, I will tell you that. That's a whole other thing about Mickey. He is not a good sleeper. So, 
you know, he's a partier, an <laughs> 11-month-old partier. And he's a mover, and he's walking, and he's all over the place. So he didn't nap at all. As a matter of fact, even on the way home, we were on our way home, got home about 8 o'clock at night. You would think that he would nap, just go to sleep in the car. That's around his bedtime, anywhere between 8 and 9, and this kid was up. Well, thank God he was, because we came home, and we had to put him in the shower and the bath. Not even a bath. My wife took a shower. We could not lay down with the smell of smoke on us. So, again, it is not, please, I am not trying to offend anybody if you're a smoker. My goodness, I miss it. I really do. I used to love to smoke cigarettes. And I think bipolar and smoking cigarettes kind of go hand in hand, to be honest with you. So if you're still doing it, uh, it's not, listen, we all know it's not healthy for us. I am not going to sit here and preach to you about whether or not you should do this. You know, my ex-wife, she is a heavy, heavy smoker, probably a pack and a half to two packs a day, and it breaks my children's heart every single day. More so because my ex-wife has swore on their lives that she will quit. Most recently, last June, she had promised them that she would quit in June, swore on their lives, both of them, and they remind me just about every time they see me that their mother lied on their lives. So what that means is two things. She's not a very nice person, but number two, it's one of the worst addictions in the world because you can you can legitimately swear on your children's lives and not do anything about it because you're so addicted to it. So it's one of the most highly addictive things in the world. So one thing that I will say is one of the things that really helped me to stop was Wellbutrin, believe it or not. Once I got on Wellbutrin, I no longer wanted a cigarette, so it is something to think about. I'm not trying to tell you to start changing your antidepressants, but it's just something to keep in mind, and that's it. I don't want to offend anybody, but in a nutshell, it was rough. It was really rough. Now, my kids were not with me, like I said, uh, Sarah Lee and, and Junior, and when my parents came today, which they did come today because they wanted to see them, they got to see Mickey, but they didn't get to see my other two. They might as well have not been here, my children. And I say that because this cell phone slash computer slash gameplay is so overwhelmingly disturbing that there are no words to describe it. I don't know what to do. I really don't. I try to put limitations on it, but it's hard because when it's the winter time, especially, and that's where we're at, Mr. Joe's Neighborhood. Um, in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, it's, it's cold out right now. And there's no, there's no way that we can, you know, be out there playing basketball, doing anything. I mean, there are definitely things, places we can go, but also money is tight with Mr. Joe, man. I mean, every time we go somewhere, it costs me a hundred dollars, especially when we're on these vacations, you know, these spring breaks and things like that. So, Sometimes as a parent, it's just easier for us to say, all right, go do what you got to do, go play. But even when I try to have them interact and watch a TV show, which is not much better, but a little bit better, at least we can socialize and have a snack on the couch or whatever it might be, they don't even have an interest. They still have their phones in their laps. So it's, it's, it's very disturbing, and I don't know what to do about it. You would think that I do, being a behaviorist, because that's what I am, and I run around telling parents what to do all the time and how to limit their um, cell phone usage, because one of the most disturbing things about 
these games and all this stuff is that it, it really disturbs your sleep patterns. If you don't know this by now, and I'm sure you, you've heard this, one of the worst things that you could do before going to bed is get on your electronics. It actually stimulates your mind to an extent where it makes it harder for you to go to sleep. So uh, try to get away from that. Even as an adult, try to get away from that. And if your children are doing it, do the opposite of what Mr. Joe does and do the right thing. Because I am not um, not proud of this, the fact that I don't know what to do. I know what to tell everybody else to do, but I can't practice it. And a lot of times, us quote-unquote teachers, which is one of the degrees and certifications I have as a special education, you know, uh, one of those things is as good as we might be or as good as we might think we are when it comes to our profession and being in the field is as bad as we might be when it comes to our own children. So I don't practice what I preach all the time when it comes to my kids, but I'm also man, I'm a man enough to admit that. Um, so irritability, that's what I wanted to discuss tonight. And where did this irritability start? Well, this irritability started about four days ago. And just so you know, it started as what I would refer to as a manic phase. But unfortunately, that happiness only lasted a brief period of time for Mr. Joe. And there are times where it will last for like three days. And then the irritability on day four will go from day four to ten. Day 10 being the worst, where Mr. Joe ends up in a room slicing his arms and legs with a scissor. Not this time, which leads me to believe that once again, the medicine is, short, is shortening the duration of these mood episodes. However, this irritability part has gone on for four days, whereas the happy mania part only went on for a few hours. And I remember it distinctly because what started to happen was, and then all of a sudden, like a switch... I started to have extreme racing thoughts. And I remember this actually happening while I was driving. And the thoughts were shooting in my head to the point where I could not even concentrate on the road, could not concentrate where I needed to go. At this, I could tell you right now that I actually have no idea where I was even driving as I recall this. I know that we were, I was driving. I also know that my wife was in the car I know that one of the comments she made towards the end of the drive was, you know what, I think maybe I should drive on the way home, wherever we were going. I, again, I don't remember. Because I was so distracted by my racing thoughts. And what I started to do, and what, what I do know is what my racing thoughts were about, because they were shooting into my brain at such an extent that I could not forget them. And I actually started to think about my past my past work history as a child. And what I mean by that is at the age of 15 and well, actually starting around the age of 16. So around the age of 16 up until the age of 17, I started thinking like, like a lunatic, racing thoughts about my jobs when I was younger. And what amazed me about the thoughts is that thinking back to three jobs in particular, one after another, because, let's face it, anybody with bipolar disorder, if you don't know this, we bounce around a little bit when it comes to jobs, okay? 
And it was no difference at the age of 16 and 17. And I get it. I know that when you're young, you mess up. You do things that are not right. You're young. You're stupid. You make mistakes. Things that you probably wouldn't do now. But want to know something? Let me tell you. There was my first job. And this was after babysitting and my paper route and things that I did. Um, And technically right before... I ended up working in a camp for children with autism that I worked with, which started my 27-year career. But before I got into that, I worked in a supermarket, and I was a cashier. And what shot in my head was the fact that after I would be done with my shift, I would be in the back in the stock room, and I remember specifically drinking a case of beer at the age of 16 with two other gentlemen by the name of Danny and Corey. So I sat in the back. I drank about 24 beers with the two of them in a, in a stock room. Bam. Okay. Bipolar. Drinking. Age of 16. No control. What happens? I get fired. I move on to my next job. I am working in a shoe store. Yes, Mr. Joe is a shoe salesman. What does Mr. Joe do? Well, I'll tell you this. Mr. Joe has bragged about the fact that I never stole anything that I wanted to steal, but I always held myself back from doing so. Well, that was not the case as a shoe salesman. Mr. Joe, what Mr. Joe used to do was Mr. Joe used to find it exciting to do fake returns. In other words, take a pink slip, write out a name of a fake person, make up a completely fake name, go on the shelf, grab a pair of shoes, put them next to the pink slip, put them in the back of the cash register, and say, you know, Michael so-and-so returned these shoes. I offered him $21.69 refund in cash. And what did Mr. Joe do? Put the cash in his pocket. To the point where one day, and, you know, listen, my manager, and I'll never forget her name. Her name was Arlene. And these are real names that I'm giving you guys right now because nobody's going to be able to detect who Mr. Joe is based on these names. When my my manager offered me at the age of 16 uh, a set of keys to open up a store and gave me an assistant manager title because she trusted in me. Well, that was not the best idea because little did I know that when I strolled in one day, I walked in and I'll never forget, Arlene was not at the front. She was in the back stock room and she said, Joe, please come back here. And I walked to the back. And when I walked in, there were big, bright, shining lights right on my face. And it was basically the FBI. (laughs) And I laugh about it now. Um, And even when they put me under a microscope, so to speak, and they had all the return slips, and they asked me to go through each and every one and let them know the ones that were real and the ones that were fake, I was smart enough to know that if they're asking me, then they must not know. So I probably passed over about a hundred that were ones that I did and I put them to the side and just picked out a few and I believe I owed a hundred dollars when really I probably stole about a thousand dollars at the age of 16. Move on to my next venture, which was a clothing store in the men's department and I was fired on Christmas Eve. What do I remember about that? Well, I remember probably, and at the I was still the age of sixteen. So now, I am. This is right before I landed that job in the summer camp, and I did 
land that job shortly after being fired on Christmas Eve. But what do I remember about that? Well, I remember two distinct things. I remember probably getting fired because all I did was run around and try to be with different women and had a multitude of women who I was quote-unquote dating. And I know, again, we're 16 years old, but look at the pattern in which bipolar generates itself. Not only that went on, when I was fired, I remember going into that store to question the person who fired me, having complete overconfidence and screaming and yelling at her, saying, you don't know what you lost, you don't know how good of a salesman I was, you lost the best thing, you lost the best men's department representative, I mean, you know, acting like a complete lunatic to the point where she said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to call the police. And then I left and I guess I pulled myself together at some point. That's when I got that summer job, that summer camp job. And I don't know what it is, guys. I really don't. All the jobs that I've done in my life, which really it's only been that one that I've been successful in. And that's why it's maintained itself for the 27 years that it has. I don't know. When I got around children and I got around disabilities, everything was just okay. I don't know what it was. Everything was just always okay and always still is okay. It's just like a switch goes off and I just want to help people. Maybe that's why I do this podcast. I I don't know. It just, it gives me a, a great amount of pleasure to help people and see people succeed. And maybe it's a little bit of, uh, listen, I do know for a very long time, many, many years that It was not just about people succeeding. It was about my success as well. I used to run around telling everybody I was the best at what I did. Nobody on Mr. Joe's planet could even touch me with a 10-foot pole. I was the best at applied behavior analysis. I was the best special educator. I was the best at teaching daily living skills. I was the best when it came to behavior plans. I was the best who came up with functions of behaviors. I was the best at everything. And now... I'm just Mr. Joe. I'm just Mr. Joe, just an average, everyday Mr. Joe who works for a living and is not the best at anything. Might have been the best at going bankrupt, best at spending lots of money, and the best at developing, after these racing thoughts, this extreme irritability where I promised myself that I was going to remember what I was talking about. And I don't even remember (laughs) what it was. Um, I I think I was going to speak about why this happens. And I I can't, I actually can't go. I I have no idea. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, The irritability. The irritability happens. It happens because even when we're medicated, that doesn't mean that we don't have bipolar. And that these little symptoms are not going to come out. So it's very important for everybody to recognize that while I am now generating this extreme irritability, the one and only person that I am not irritable with is my 11-month-old son, probably the one person that would test my patience to, to no limit. But what ends up happening is while I'm sitting with him at a table and I'm watching him eat, Mr. Joe starts to tear up and starts to cry. Because I'm watching him and I'm overjoyed, so I think, with how lucky I am to have him and how precious he is. And 
how scared I would be if he golf a bit got hurt, and then all of a sudden I'm crying. So that's where the mixed episodes come in with Mr. Joe. But again, very short, probably a couple of minutes, and then it went away, and then the irritability comes back. And here's what I want you to know about the irritability. It's, it's, it's important for you to understand because Mr. Joe, I don't believe, has ever spoken about the present. I've spoken about some of the things that I've done in the past. And I also need you to understand that although I am not at the level that I was a couple of days ago, I am not far behind. I was mad at everyone, specifically my wife. It was to a point where everything and anything that she could say angered me. Everything and anything that she could say I viewed as a confrontation. I viewed as her being mean to me, as her being nasty to me as her actually not being interested in me in any way, shape, or form, being preoccupied, saying things such as, after she did her nails today, and I saw her on her cell phone, I turned around and I said, when you get your head buried at, the, your head that's buried in your phone, then I'll talk to you. Think, you know, she wasn't even on her phone. She's doing her nails, which she's allowed to do. Okay? She doesn't do a whole lot. The, the woman used to go out and get her nails done, and she doesn't even do that anymore. It was the one thing that she enjoyed and used to like doing. She don't even do that. It wouldn't bother me if she did, but she doesn't. So she was doing her nails, whoop-de-doo, okay? And then she puts her head in a phone, <laughs> and I say it like that only because that's the, way I say, that's the way I said it to her, as if, like, it's a big deal. All she was doing was checking her fantasy baseball team, but when you get your head from buried out of your phone... I'll speak to you. And I was just angry, angry about everything, angry, grimacing, making a face at everything. No patience, no desire to speak to anybody in a nice tone. Anything that she would ask me, Mr. Joe does not curse on this podcast, but let me tell you right now, the word F flew out of my mouth about 10 or 20 times in a row. For no reason. None whatsoever. I don't know what the F you want from me. I don't effing know. Even tonight, even though I'm not at the level that I was, I turned around and I said, this was your job. <laughs> you know, because she was supposed to do something yesterday. And I don't remember what she had said um, and what prompted me to say that, but I took offense to it. Do you know that even the paranoia, that even the paranoia, kind of set in at some point when she went to go to her private job today because she also goes and works with a, a young man with autism, makes some extra money on the side, and she was only gone for an hour and a half, and it's great. It's great money for the family. Um, do you know that I actually said to myself, I got to run to my car and get my iPad, get my iPad and track her location and see if she's actually really going to this house to go work with this young man? Because I was so paranoid, I thought she was going to cheat on me based on the way that I acted. And then I got a, got a grip, got a hold of myself, and I said, well, I'm not going to the car, I'm not doing that. I mean, because that's just the most foolish thing in the world. To the point where, what led me to believe that was when I went into the bathroom for something, I smelled perfume. And I said, what is she putting on perfume for a kid? Well, whatever. I put on cologne when I go to work. Doesn't mean that I want to hang out with women. <laughs> But that's what led me to believe that. So, 
other things, and I don't know if you can relate to this, guys, and please, I'm so sorry, but I, I think it's important that I'm transparent and honest with my audience. Driving in a car, I look at people. I want to bash their faces in. That's how I was feeling. I want to drive them off the road. They, can't, they don't even do anything to me, and they, they irritate me and make me angry for no reason. This is how Mr. Joe is feeling. And I just don't understand why it is this way. Now, very important for you to understand that I woke up this morning probably the happiest I've been in the last month. (laughs) And I know that sounds crazy because think about what I'm saying, how I acted just a few hours ago to my wife. Here's an example of the mixed episodes with Mr. Joe. And that's what's one of the, you know, that's, I guess, what... Is, is for those of you who are rapid cyclers and experience mixed episodes, I think that is the most concerning to me because I will feel like I am out of the woods, so to speak. And I say, oh, that's it. I woke up. I'm going to deal with it. It's good. It's happiness. However long it lasts, be grateful for it. And then, bam, it's gone again. It's gone again. There is a really big event on this Sunday. And for me, it's one of the biggest events in the world. It's an annual thing. It's called WrestleMania. I wait all year. And my wife brought up to me this morning to have two of her, well, one of her close work friends over and the husband. And I went from completely happy to completely miserable. I made every excuse in the world why I didn't want them over. And one of them happens to be that this man smokes a lot of marijuana. And I don't want him around me. And I don't think that's bad saying that. You know, and her comeback was, well, just don't do it. You're, you're, you're strong enough. And, and I am. I certainly am. But I don't feel like dealing with it. I don't feel like having him go in and out of my house. I don't think it's right for him to do that, especially around my kids. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, it, it, when I used to smoke marijuana, we used to be able to have halfway decent conversations, even though it used to annoy the hell out of me. Now he'll annoy me even more. I don't want to talk to him. And I know it's mean, you know, and then the wife, you know, she's scared of my dogs and I spend at least an hour and a half yelling at the animals because anytime they go near her, she screams. And this is a seven hour event and I wait all year long for it. You know, I already explained that I'm not comfortable. I'm I'm getting this final stage of my tooth. I can't really wear my flipper because it's actually hurting me when I wear it. I'm getting this mold done on the 11th for the final you know, permanent tooth to go in there. But I got to tell you, I, I I don't wear this flipper whenever I don't have to. And that's a long, and I'm embarrassed when I don't wear it. I'm embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed when I have my family here. Even my parents, you know, they love me. I love them. And as crazy as they are and as drunk as my mother sounded on the phone last night when I invited her over and she started mumbling and, and stumbling over her words, still my parents. And if I want to leave my flipper out, I'll leave it out. But with two people that, you know, are my age, that are coming over to socialize and watch an event, I don't feel like keeping my flipper in and taking it out when I got to eat. And I know this might sound silly, and maybe it's social anxiety. I don't know what it is. But guys, I am in no state of mind right now to deal with company. I'm not. And if my wife can't understand it, that I don't understand what's going on. I really don't. I need her. I need her to... I need her to 
here's what I need. Here's what she needs. She already expressed to me that as supportive of, as she is of me, I need to back her sometimes. And I need to let her have friends over and let her need to socialize. This friend's father happened to pass away. And my wife missed the funeral in the wake. And she said, I'm such a bad friend. And I just wanted to have him over. And she texted me and she wants to know what's going on. And I feel so bad. And what is Mr. Joe's answer? Well, you should have been a better friend and, and not missed the wake. It's not the, that's not the nice thing. That's not the supportive thing to say to a wife. Maybe if I would have turned around and said to her, you know, Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife, I am really struggling right now. And it's just not a good time. I don't know. I, I've been taking a lot of offense to the fact that my wife has been telling me, you're the most irritable I've seen you in months. Um, and, I, and I'm nervous. I really am, guys. I'm nervous. What's interesting is I just went up last Friday to 175 milligrams in, in Lamictal. So I have to wonder if that is having a change on me. I have just started Seroquel. Is that making a difference? Is that something that is making me irritable? Um, still helping me sleep rather well, but these are questions I have in my mind. And as a matter of fact, um, Becky from that B word, um, her and I talk a lot and I actually have to write her back. She sent me a really great email. She is so supportive. You know, we used to hit each other up on messages on Twitter and the other day she's just like, you know what, I'm just going to write you an email, leave you, leave this Twitter thing alone because you're probably being so annoyed by it because she knew the type of mood that I was in and I definitely have to write her back, but she explained to me that new medication sometimes causes this. So that certainly could be what's going on. I don't know what it is, everybody. I just know that I need it to end. I need it to go away. And um, I'm hoping that it does. I'm hoping in a couple of days I can come back and I can say to you that this irritability has passed. It has gone away. And we could work together on, uh, on, a, on a more productive podcast journey. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Well, anyway, if you are living with a uh, mental illness like Mr. Joe and you're doing well, I want you to keep working hard. If you love somebody with a mental illness, I want you to keep supporting them. And if you're struggling with a mental illness, I ask you to not stop battling. And I ask you to soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great evening. I'll see you in a couple of days.